Welcome to the Living a Naturally Healthy Life podcast with Delane ND, the podcast for people looking to correct chronic illnesses such as diabetes through lifestyle change. I'm Dr. Delane Vaughn. As a physician, I see many patients who are ill because of lifestyle decisions such as food choices. Typically, diseases such as diabetes are managed with pills or injections. This approach creates a vicious, expensive, and unhealthy cycle of medication and then more medication to address the negative side effects. As a physician, and a life coach, I work with clients to resolve their diseases, get off their medications, and live a naturally healthy life. If you don't like the healthcare system in America, I recommend you use less of it by being naturally healthy. So if you feel there has to be a better, more natural way to live a healthy life, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD podcast episode number 106. I just recorded this once and recorded it as 105. I realized I did the same thing last week. I recorded it wrong and then I had to go back and re-record it. So I'm chuckling at myself that I apparently can't count or that I'm not checking that each time beforehand because I can't trust myself to keep tallied in my head how many episodes I have. So if you are new to the podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Delane Vaughn. If you're looking for strategies to live a naturally healthy life, this is the place for you. Today, we are going to talk about fasting blood sugars. Primarily, I help women who have type 2 diabetes reverse their type 2 diabetes, lose some weight, and start living a naturally healthy life. Fasting blood sugars and how to manage them is something I see come up a lot with my clients. So I figure if they're struggling with it, other folks who are trying to reverse their type 2 diabetes must be struggling with it. So I thought this would be a great topic for a podcast. Before we get started, many of you are aware, if you've listened to any of the other podcast episodes, I reversed my metabolic disease I improved my metabolic health, which included prediabetes for me, about four years ago. But I feel like I'm always really looking for opportunities to up-level my health. So I always share things. It's not every time that I share something because sometimes I just don't have anything exciting to share about up-leveling my health. But I came across an article this week and think it's really important to uh, emphasize the strategy of improving our gut microbiome and how to do it. So I've spoken about this in the past, about improving our gut microbiome and the impacts that it can have on our overall health. I have frequently cited a study where they looked at a mouse um, model, meaning that it was a study done on mice where they had three groups of mice, a healthy mouse, uh, an obese mouse group, and then a diabetic mouse group. So these three groups of mice. And they transplanted the gut microbiome from the obese mice into the group of healthy mice. And holding the diets all the same in these groups, they induced obesity in the healthy mice population. They repeated this uh, same maneuver with the diabetic mice, taking the diabetic mice and their gut microbiome and taking that microbiome and transplanting it into the healthy mice, into their guts. And again, holding the diets all the same, they induced diabetes in the healthy mice population just by changing the gut microbiome. I cite this study frequently because it shows the importance of how we manage our gut microbiome and how important it is to have a healthy gut microbiome. So one of the ways I have always done this, or one of the ways I've always read that's really important to do this, is by eating fermented foods. So there's tons of evidence for this in the literature, and I came across a study that was actually released in the Journal of Cell this week, showing the benefits to the gut microbiome when we eat fermented foods in comparison with high fiber diets. I always thought we needed both, and I'm 
I'm pretty sure we do need both. It's not like eating low fiber diets is going to ever be proven as some healthy alternative to health or to high fiber diets. But the importance of fermented food is really emphasized in the results of this. So recognizing that improving our health or improving our gut microbiome means that we have a more diverse set of microbes living in our gut. So microbes are bacteria. Bacteria naturally and normally live in our gut. And what this does is when we have a diverse population of microbes in our gut, that leads to decreased inflammatory markers. So we have decreased inflammation in our system when we have a healthier gut microbiome. So a lot of folks are going to hear like that we have bacteria in our gut and they're going to fear that this means that there's something bad or unhealthy. And certainly the wrong bacteria in our gut can be unhealthy. But that's not what we're talking about. And that's not what this um, paper looked about when it was talking about the gut microbiome. The diversity of our gut microbiome, again, it's an indicator of how healthy we are. So the study in Cell this week showed that one to two servings of fermented foods are better for our gut microbiome than just eating a high-fiber diet alone. Not only does this dietary modification increase the diversity of our gut microbiome, but it also increases, again, that inflammatory component, and it decreases the inflammatory markers in our body, according to this article. So the bottom line, you can increase your health, you can improve your health by eating more fermented foods. So what do we mean by fermented foods? So fermented foods... My choice of fermented food is sauerkraut. I love sauerkraut. It's fermented fat cabbage. Kimchi is also another version of fermented cabbage. I've not eaten kimchi, but I have eaten. I eat a lot of sauerkraut. Kombucha is another fermented food. It's fermented tea. Other fermented foods. Some pickles, the pickles especially that you get in the refrigerated section, being careful that there's no other additives. There is a a benzo, it's benzonate, I believe, it is a chemical that they use for preserving pickles, like so they don't go bad. And it's linked to cancer, and it's also linked to negative impacts on our gut microbiome. So being really careful, but if you're really like feeling ambitious and, and adventurous, pickling cucumbers at home, making your own pickles at home is not that hard. Um, and definitely you can then have a little more control over what goes in it. But some pickles are fermented. The ones that you make at home are typically made at home because they're fermented. Kefir and yogurts. These are fermented dairy products. Tempeh, miso, and natto. N is a Nancy A-T-T-O. It's a fermented soybean product. All three of those. Tempeh, tempeh miso, and natto are fermented soybean products. So I'm not really that adventurous as a foodie. I know what tempeh and miso is. I have eaten yogurts. Certainly, I love me some pickles. My fermented food of choice is pretty much sauerkraut. And I eat sauerkraut once a day usually. I eat one to two tablespoons, which is a serving. One, ser one tablespoon is a serving of sauerkraut in mo on most bottles. So um, when we say one to two servings, recognize I'm not meaning you're eating a plate of sauerkraut. I'm talking about one to two tablespoons of sauerkraut. So sauerkraut is my favorite. I grew up, you may or may not be aware of this, I grew up in Chicago, and I really thank my Polish friends from Chicago for really developing a taste of sauerkraut in me. I really do like it, and it really does remind me of childhood nostalgic feelings. So I love sauerkraut. When you get the sauerkraut, making sure that you're getting it from the refrigerated section, not getting the canned stuff. The canned stuff has typically been heated to allow it to be sterile in the can and avoid 
you know, all sorts of bad things that can happen from canning unsterile foods. So that sterilization process of heating it typically kills off any of the healthy bacteria that you're trying to get into your gut to populate that gut microbiome. In addition, trying not to cook the sauerkraut is another really important thing. Again, Thank you, my Polish friends in Chicago, because I will eat sauerkraut, and I have done this since I was a child. I will eat it raw. When I ate it from a can, I would just eat it straight from the can, and now I have it in a jar. I have it from the refrigerated section, again, because it has more of those healthy microbes in it, and I will just eat it by the forkful from the jar. So I get to be the only one eating it from the jar because nobody else in my house wants to do that. But recognizing that kraut is a great fermented food. If you love it, run with it. If you don't love it, there are other options that I've just listed. I am being really careful about what you're trying. I am interested in trying kombucha. It's that uh, fermented tea. Reading the labels is really important. Important Kombucha is this really, you know, it's very popular right now. People are drinking it, but read the labels. A lot of them add sweeteners to it. I also like Greek yogurt and will eat that. But again, being really careful to read the labels. A lot of times they're adding sweeteners and sugars to yogurts. So that's kind of my what I've got for you to kind of help you make some small changes that uplevel your health. These are certainly some of the things that I've been doing. This article that I came across in Cell definitely points out the importance of having fermented food in your diet. So try it out and see how it goes. All right, a quick plug for upcoming episodes before we dive into fasting blood sugars. I'm going to have a couple of client interviews. They are brewing, so stay tuned for that. I also have a book review coming up, so it won't be all of the books that I read. I know I I feel like I do a lot of reading, and some of them are fabulous, and some of them only have a few take-home messages. But the upcoming book review that I'll be doing will be some of my top favorite books and the take-home messages that I found important. Maybe you will too, and you can turn to those books and dig deeper into them so you can get some of the deeper science behind uh, some of these strategies that I teach for helping you to live a naturally healthy life. So make sure you're hitting the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Before we dig into fasting blood sugars, last thing, I have a free five-day session coming up starting August 16th. So that will be about a week from when this episode comes out. So this is a free session for women who have been diagnosed with something on the spectrum of type 2 diabetes. So what do I mean by that? I mean diabetes. I mean prediabetes. I mean gestational diabetes. I mean non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I mean polycystic ovarian disease. I mean um, hyperinsulinemia. All of these things count as diseases on the diabetes spectrum, meaning that the cause of all of these diseases are the same thing and we target those things. So if you're wondering if you're on the spectrum but you're not sure, send me a message, delane at delanemd.com so we can talk about it. Figuring out whether you're right for this program is really important, but we will be talking about the strategies for reversing these diseases. So topics we're going to be talking about, the science of diabetes, how to clean up your diet, intermittent fasting, and how to implement that in your life, nutritional ketosis, non-food causes of elevated blood sugars, part of that is what we're digging into today, and then food as medicine in addition to some other things. So we're going to be covering a lot of different topics. So if this is something you're interested in, send me a message. You can, again, send it at delane at delanemd.com. I have been promoting this pretty aggressively on Facebook and on Instagram. You can follow me on either of those platforms, again, at DelaneMD. I would like to say don't dilly-dally on this. Again, by the time this episode 
of the podcast that I'm recording right now drops, there's going to be about seven days before we get started on this. I've already filled the group over halfway. It's the first time I've ever done a group like this, and I really want to make sure everybody's getting a quality experience. So I'm not going to just leave this open to any number of participants. We're already halfway full. So don't waste any time. If this is really something you're interested in, it's a free session. Send me a message and we'll get you set up and get you on the email list. All right, so that was a lot. Let's dig into fasting blood sugars. This is a topic, again, that I frequently find I'm discussing with my clients because there's a lot of misunderstandings about what creates, what makes, why a fasting blood sugar is what it is. All of this, there's just a lot of misunderstanding, but probably misinformation given out there. So usually what I'm hearing from my clients is, why are my fasting blood sugars so high? Or am I eating in the middle of the night? I checked my blood sugar before I went to bed and it looked good. So now why did it change? Or what's wrong with what I ate last night? I think I ate a pretty reasonable dinner, but here I am with this high fasting blood sugar. So what I want to offer you is no, 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 no. None of these issues that I just listed is really what's going on. It's not something you're doing wrong. Fasting blood sugars are an indicator of your overall health, not of what you just recently ate. There are two major players that go into your fasting blood sugars. Number one is cortisol release, and number two is insulin resistance. So cortisol is a hormone that drives up our blood sugars. Cortisol is released in two different situations. One, when there's stress going on. And two, cortisol is released in all human beings early in the morning. There is what we call a cortisol response, and it is normal in human beings. I like to refer to the cortisol response, the morning cortisol response, as the original refrigerator. 10,000 years ago, there wasn't a refrigerator or a cupboard with your breakfast stored in it, with your nutrient stored in it so you could get up and be a human being. 10,000 years ago, our bodies stored that energy in the form of fat. And early in the morning, before we were getting up to get up and be humans and do the things that human beings do, our bodies had to develop a way to release that energy into our system, the energy that's stored as fat. That way that we developed is cortisol. So every human being in a 24-hour circadian cycle will release cortisol. In diabetics, It's an exaggerated cortisol response. So remember, not only is there this 24-hour circadian release of cortisol that happens for everybody, but cortisol is also released when we are stressed. It's a stress hormone. That stress can be physiologic stressors or it can be psychological stressors. So most of us understand what a psychological or an emotional stressor is, but we're going to come back to that. But what we don't realize is what causes a physiological stressor in our body. This is less understood by most folks. So any illness, both acute illnesses or chronic illnesses. So acute illnesses are pneumonias or... Um, a urinary tract infection, or a cold. All of that's an acute illness. But in addition to cortisol being released with acute illnesses, which it is, cortisol is also released with chronic illnesses like type 2 diabetes. Therefore, diabetics will tend to have an exaggerated cortisol response and an exaggerated insulin response due to that cortisol response. And what do I mean by an insulin response due to that cortisol response? When the human being has that early AM 
cortisol release. That cortisol causes your body to not only release fat in ener- as energy, but also to go to the liver and go through the process of gluconeogenesis, releasing glucose into our system. That glucose will then have this insulin response, right? So in diabetics, that glucose response from the liver and that insulin response in re- that, that happens because we made all this glucose from the liver are both exaggerated. In addition to that, not only are we having this cortisol release because it's the morning, but because we're sick of, with type 2 diabetes, we are also having an exaggerated cortisol response. So we have higher cortisol released, which leads to this glucose response, which leads to this exaggerated insulin response, okay? So there's a lot of things in the morning that are going on that have nothing to do with what you ate yesterday, that is causing that fasting blood sugar to happen, to be so high. So again, cortisol gets released usually somewhere between 4 and 6 a.m. in the morning. It goes to your fat. It releases your fat. It goes to your liver. It releases it, or it causes gluconeogenesis to happen. That drives up your blood sugar, okay? And it drives it so high because of what we're going to talk about next, which is insulin resistance. And the higher blood sugars also cause more of this insulin to be produced, which is also causing more of this insulin resistance. But those high blood sugars that you're seeing happen, and again, is related to this insulin resistance, is happening because of our type 2 diabetes. And that's what you're reading on your fasting blood sugar, is that high blood sugar reading that happens from this cortisol response. So let's talk about insulin resistance. So The fasting blood sugar is actually a key indicator of insulin resistance in your body. So when we're releasing high amounts of insulin into our body, that's causing this insulin resistance. If you're not sure about this, check out a hundred other podcasts that I have where I talk about what causes diabetes. Insulin resistance is what diabetes really truly is. It's an insulin issue. It's not a carbohydrate issue, but recognizing that insulin resistance is caused when we have too much insulin in our system. So high concentrations of insulin over a prolonged period of time is typically what will lead to high blood sugars and type 2 diabetes. So when we're having this cortisol response, what's happening is we're releasing sugar from our liver, but because of the insulin resistance, our cells are not bringing that sugar inside of the cells so that our cells can use it as energy, right? Because that's what's happening. The cortisol gets released so we can release some energy in the form of glucose and fatty acids. But that glucose is supposed to go into the cells so that we have energy to do the things that human beings do, move our muscles, move our body, think, breathe, our heart beats faster. All of those things require glucose inside the cell. And that's why our body has this cortisol response in the morning recognize when we're insulin resistant, we're going to have to create more blood sugar to override that insulin resistance so that our cells will bring the sugar, the glucose inside the cell so that we can have the energy we need. So when I said that we have this exaggerated cortisol release that makes us release more blood sugar, that's true. In addition to that, we continue to have more cortisol released and more sugar released because we're trying to override the insulin resistance so that we can get energy inside our cells and our cells can be human beings, do what the cells need to do. So the fasting blood sugar is really an indicator of how much insulin resistance is going on. How much insulin resistance is going on will determine how high those fasting blood sugars go. 
Insulin resistance does not get fixed in one week of eating healthy. Insulin resistance takes time to quote unquote burn off. That's what I look at it as. We're burning off this bad biology. It will not be fixed because you avoided processed foods for the last week. There are two main reasons that we struggle with fixing our fasting blood sugars. We believe that they will be fixed in one to two days of eating better, which is, of course, that's not what the science supports. And we believe that they're related to what we eat and what we ate yesterday. Also not what the science supports. So recognizing that this is kind of the science behind our fasting blood sugars. And these are the two main things that the cortisol release and the insulin resistance are the two main reasons that our fasting blood sugars are high. There are other things that can go into our fasting blood sugars being high. And I want to run through uh, those things. And it's This is not an all-inclusive list, but these are the things that usually we clean up these three things, meaning we clean up our insulin resistance, we clean up our sleep, which is the next thing I'm going to talk about, and we clean up our stress, which is the last thing I'm going to talk about. We can get those three things cleaned up. Most people find that we see a significant improvement in that fasting blood sugar. Um, But recognize this is not an all-inclusive list of things that will improve that fasting blood sugar. So sleep. Sleep is very important. I'm going to say it now. I'll say it again here in a minute. We must learn to protect our sleep. Sleep, the importance of sleep cannot be understated. It is one of the most important physiologic things that we do as human beings. And as human beings in Western society, we typically look at sleep as a luxury, as something we'll do if we can if we can afford to, if I can afford to get enough sleep, I will. And what I want to offer you is that sleep is one of the most important things to your health. And there's more and more evidence coming out about that. So learning to protect our sleep is really important. So bad sleep or interrupted sleep will cause that cortisol response to go up, will cause more cortisol to be released, will cause an exaggerated cortisol effect, and that will lead to higher blood sugar. So if you're not sleeping enough, if you're getting bad sleep, if you're getting interrupted, all of those things are going to cause your fasting blood sugars to go up. In fact, one of the things that I ask most of my clients whenever they're coming with an unexpectedly high fasting sugar, how did you sleep last night? That is one of the first things I will ask. So there is all sorts of science behind sleep, and you can check out uh, podcast, my episode number 53, where I talk about sleep. You can also check out, there's a number of Facebook Lives where I talk about sleep. I'm going to give you some other resources here in a minute. But recognizing that the cycling of sleep is a very patterned thing and can you just need to go through the typical um, architecture or cycling of sleep to get adequate sleep. There's all sorts of hormones that are released in each different sleep cycle that, and those hormones impact our blood sugars. There are all, is all sorts of science behind sleep. But if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to have an elevated cortisol response and that's going to give you a high fasting blood sugar. Recognize also medications do not induce natural sleep and will not help your fasting blood sugar. So when you're hearing me say this and you're like, woo, when I'm at the doctor next time, I'm gonna ask me for a script to Ambien because Delane said that this is what's gonna help. Don't, don't even bother. The Ambien doesn't help. Meds do not help. Being unconscious and being asleep are not the same things. The physiology of being unconscious and the physiology of sleep 
are not the same. Meds do not create the physiology of sleep. Medications create unconsciousness. So don't think we're going to go to meds and like take a box of Benadryl and I'm going to get all the sleep I need and that's going to help. That's not going to help. In addition to uh, getting adequate sleep, recognizing that the dreams that you have during sleep will release epinephrine. And that epinephrine can drive up your blood sugar. So if you have a really intense dream, maybe it was scary, maybe it wasn't scary. I love the dreams where I dream that I'm flying. I think they're a blast. They're so much fun. But clearly it's going to be exhilarating and it's going to release some epinephrine and adrenaline in my, into my system. Though That hormone, epinephrine, which is adrenaline, or norepinephrine, all of those hormones also cause your body to release glucose into your system. Again, it stimulates your liver in a way that makes your liver make glucose. And that making of the glucose will, of course, cause your blood sugars to go high. So if you had a really bizarre dream or a really intense dream or a vivid dream, it may cause your blood sugars to be higher than expected. So again, protect your sleep. Again, if you want to know information about sleep and the science behind sleep, check out episode number 53. I have Facebook Lives. You can find them at DelaneMD on Facebook. And then lastly, there is a sleep scientist. He is a gem. His name is Matthew Walker. He is, again, he's a PhD. He has a book called Why We Sleep. It's very long, but it is incredible when it talks about the importance of sleep. So I highly recommend that book. If you're not into, I think it's like a 10 or a 12 hour book because you all know I measure books in time, not in pages, because I listen to them on Audible. His book is pretty long. If you're not into that, check out his TED Talk. You can Google Matt Walker Sleep TED Talk and his TED Talks will come up. He goes into the science behind that. His science behind sleep is really compelling to why we need to be sleeping more and why we need to be protecting our sleep. So check that out. Lastly, stress. Stress, again, stress will cause cortisol to be released. And if we are releasing cortisol all day long, because we are stressed all day long, we are producing glucose from our liver all day long. That glucose stimulates our pancreas to make insulin all day long. And how do we develop type 2 diabetes? We have high concentrations of insulin over a prolonged period of time. When we are not managing our stress appropriately, we are leading to that prolonged component that creates type 2 diabetes. So getting very curious about what you are doing to manage your stress active management of stress. There is not a lot of good active management of stress that is supported by evidence, meaning supported by the literature. So what do I mean? There are not a lot of things that we know, actions that we can take to better manage our stress. There are a couple things that we know of. Outside of that, it's a lot of, hey, just don't stress about it, which if anybody's heard that when they're stressed, we all know that is not helpful information. Don't tell me to just not stress about it. That actually makes me angry and like creates more stress. For me, I find that doing thought management, which is thought downloading or taking out the trash, which is the thought model that I teach my clients and we practice a lot in my program, I find that that actually is more helpful when I am stressed and figuring out why I'm stressed and do I want to be stressed over it. Is this something I want to spend this mental energy on? If the answer is no, then I figure out what else is true and I decide to focus on that. 
If the answer is yes, I want to be stressed about the situation, then I don't make it a problem. It's awesome. I want this. This is what I feel like is important, and I'm going to run with that. So that is a strategy, especially, again, like this is the strategy I use when I'm at a point where somebody's like, just don't stress about it because I don't find just don't stress about it very helpful. Other things that actually have data supporting it being a strategy for managing stress include meditation and exercise. So meditation, if you're interested in hearing me talk about meditation and diabetes, check out my episode number 79. Um, I'm going to give you some apps here in a minute, but recognize that meditation impacts the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that runs through our body causing it to increase the parasympathetic input into our system. So the parasympathetic nervous system is our rest and relaxation nervous system. It's the part of our nervous system that really creates rest and relaxation. So you want to increase that parasympathetic input into our system to get the physiology in our body of rest and relaxation. So apps that can help out. I'm a huge fan of apps. I never in a million years thought I would say this because I really am not a fan of technology, but there are some really, really helpful apps. The Calm app, many of you know, I am not paid by Calm just to be clear about this. They do not sponsor this podcast. I just find their app incredibly helpful. It's got so many different options as far as length of meditation, type of meditation, meditation for stress, meditation for sleep, meditation for eating. I mean, meditation for all the things are included in that Calm app. They have visualization um, meditations. They have all sorts of things. I really, really like the Calm app. I like it so much. I have a lifetime membership to Calm. I hope that they never change their platform because I love that I don't ever have to pay for it again and it's there. I use Calm at least once a day, sometimes two or three times a day. So I love the Calm app. I have also used the Headspace app. I like the Headspace app. I like it especially because there's this little Australian guy that that speaks to me and I really find his voice soothing. However, there were a lot of things I didn't like about it. Um, The time when I was using it, they did not allow me to have a 10-minute meditation that had minimal guidance. They either had 10 minutes with no guidance or 15 minutes with guidance. And I wanted not a lot of guidance in 10 minutes. And they didn't have that option when I found Calm. Calm did have that option, and that's why I switched. Headspace is a great app. Um, I highly recommend you look into it and check it out. It probably has the option I was looking for, but three years ago it didn't. So I just switched to Calm, and, and that's what I've used since then. So meditation, figuring out how to meditate, I still, I mean, I could probably sit down and meditate without guidance. I just like the guidance to keep me anchored into what I need to be doing and what I'm doing with that activity. And again, it's increasing the rest and relaxation component of our nervous system, which of course is going to be an active manager for stress. So Recognizing that stress is the other really important thing to use in managing that fasting blood sugar. If your stress is always going and you are always creating cortisol in your system, you are always creating insulin in your system, which means you're increasing your insulin resistance, which takes you back to that fasting insulin or that fasting blood sugar number, which is created by having the underlying disease of type 2 diabetes. When we remember that type 2 diabetes is caused by insulin resistance, and if we're not managing our stress, we're getting that constant release of insulin into our system, which will lead to the insulin resistance. That's the connection between those things. So there is so much that goes into that morning fasting blood sugar 
it is truly the last number that I see normalize in my clients. It's not a function of what you ate last night. It is far more a function of your overall metabolic health, not necessarily what you're eating. Yes, what you're eating is creating that metabolic health, but that is an overtime. That is a slow process. Many of you have heard me talk about the accumulation of improved biology. That's what reversing your type 2 diabetes is. It is an accumulation of improving your biology and your physiology in your body to a point where you manage blood sugars well and you don't have these high blood sugars that are going on. You don't have these high insulin levels in your system. That is the accumulation of improved biology. But the resolution of your fasting blood sugars does not happen overnight. When your blood sugars normalize in the morning, when you have these normal blood sugars in the morning, that's actually evidence of overall improved biology. So if these are the things that you find challenging, that's keeping you from reaching your health goals, set up a time with me for a free consult to see if my program would work for you. This is what I do in my program. It's not, again, I say this all the time, but you don't need me to tell you to lay off the M&Ms. You know the M&Ms are part of the problem. There is some element of knowledge that goes into my program, but recognize when you think you're eating what's right and you get a fasting blood sugar in the morning and you make it mean because you think that it has to do with what you ate last night, that's not true. That's just learning about the science of it. But what happens in the moment is that we tell ourselves, nothing I do works, we feel defeated, and we go ahead and eat junk all day long. That is where fixing these parts, these parts about what we believe, learning the science about what's actually going on is really helpful for folks to start reversing their diabetes and living that naturally healthy life. If this is the help you need, there is help for you. You don't have to go this alone. Send me an email, delane at delanemd.com, or you can go directly to my calendar at www.calendly, that's C-A-L-E-N as in Nancy, D as in dog, L-Y.com forward slash delanemd, and you can set up a time for a consult. If you're interested in the five-day session that's coming up, don't hesitate to send me a message. I just actually had another email come through, somebody wanting to sign up. So make sure you take the opportunity to get signed up for that, and we will get you registered for that and get you going and started on your journey to your health. If you have any questions, if you have any questions about this topic, if there are any topics you want to hear about, if you think this is a bunch of hoo-ha and you have evidence of something else that you think I need to be aware of or that you want me to try to reconcile with what I've said, don't hesitate to send me a message. I love getting messages. I love knowing that people are finding this podcast helpful. Send me a message at delane at delanemd.com and I will talk with you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Also leave me a review. If you want to resolve your diabetes naturally without any pills or injections, I can help you. Visit DelaneMD.com for more information. Click on the Work With Me tab, send me a message, and we can set up a mini coaching session. You guys have a great week. I'll talk to you soon.